Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Wall, Director of Public Affairs. We have two guests for you today. First, we're going to talk with our president, Blake Hurst, who recently spoke with the Highway Commission here in Jefferson City, and he's going to fill us in on his comments regarding rural roads and their importance to agriculture and rural Missouri. And then we're going to talk with Spencer Tuma, our Director of National Legislative Programs, about the State of the Union address that President Trump just gave and how it relates to Missouri agriculture. So let's get started. We're talking to Blake Hurst, the president of Missouri Farm Bureau today. We just returned from the Highway Commission where you testified uh, before the commission about the importance of rural roads to uh, the agricultural community. Um, what were some of the things that, uh, that you went over with the commission when you uh, had a chance to talk with them? Well, it was a, a, indeed a, a pleasure to get to talk to them. Uh, the uh, commission is obviously a f- five-member board that uh, sits, you know, sits on top of the of the Missouri Department of Transportation budget and uh, helps make a lot of decisions about um, what their future plans are going to be. So it was really important for Farm Bureau to have our voice heard in front of that commission. I talked about uh, the importance of agriculture, and we had just, as as most of uh, people listening to this podcast know, we have in the past year or two um, helped uh, fund a study that talked about the economic contributions of agriculture to Missouri, the fact that we do $88.4 billion of economic activity, and are responsible for about 10% of uh, the employment in the state of Missouri. And so if, if, if the commissioners remember nothing else about my presentation, I hope they remember those two things. <laughs> well, those are pretty um, important, stunning numbers. And when we look at those numbers of $88.4 billion in revenue that uh, the agriculture and forestry and related industries generates, that is um, about 15% of the total in Missouri. So it's just hearing the number itself sounds like a lot, but until you put it in context of the rest of the state, it's hard to see just how much that is. But that's a huge slice of, of what Missouri does overall. Um, one of the things that I think w- is interesting that we've been tra- trying to uh, work on a little bit in the past couple of weeks with a study that's about to come out um, from the University of Missouri is adding value to those products that we produce already. Um, what What's the current state of adding value to the products we produce, and what do you think we can uh, gain to make this industry even bigger? Well, we, uh, you know, we're proud of the fact that a lot of food is manufactured in the state of Missouri. We brew a lot of beer here. Um, we feed a lot of uh, animals here, poultry in, in particular, but um, all those things add value to the crops that are grown in our field or the or uh, grow in our pastures and our crop fields. But we don't capture all that value. We still ship a tremendous amount of, of agriculture produce out of the state to be processed further. Uh, the study that uh, you referenced uh, thinks that there's a chance that we could capture another $23 billion in economic activity if we keep some of that uh, food manufacturing uh, closer to home. As I pointed out to the commission this morning, the first thing that uh, people who might be willing in financing or building one of those plants first thing they're going to ask, what are the roads like? What's the transportation? How do I get this stuff to my end uh, end customer and to the consumer? And if uh, real roads are not in good shape, uh, they aren't going to locate here. So it's as simple as that. And that's why it was important to talk to the commissioners today is because what's what's unique about agriculture compared to some other industries in Missouri that are of similar, close to the same size, is the geographic uh, disbursement of agriculture 
makes it so that you have to have a lot more uh, miles of roads to deliver products to market than if you had, say, a factory that's pumping cars out every day and you've got semi-trailers loading those on and taking them away from the factory to be delivered to dealerships, you see maybe 100 uh, loads come off that lot in one day, and it seems like a whole lot. Well, you probably see many times that much happen in agriculture, but it's not all at one one point. Uh, it all comes from a, a, a bunch of fields all across the state, you know, maybe oh, 10 million acres or something that are, that are being planted across the state. So that's why it seems like it's uh, more important to, to have those broader farm-to-market roads taken better care of. Um, what, what was your point to the, to the commission about those farm-to-market roads and how they need to be addressed? Well, we, t- we talked with them about, uh, you know, I used our farm as an example. If we have a good crop, if we have enough rain in the summer and, and, and yield what we hope to yield, uh, it takes about 800 loaves to get our crop from the fields to our bins, and then the same amount of uh, trips to take those uh, to take those corn and soybeans to uh, to to the elevator to the processing plant over the rest of the year. So and, and that's eight hundred semi trucks. Yeah, fully that's eight hundred semi trucks fully loaded. Uh, so that's uh, sixteen hundred trips generated by just our farm. And uh, when the uh, highway department, uh, one of the interesting things as we as we talked about this presentation, got ready to go over what when they measure miles travel, they measure passenger or road miles uh, vehicles they they actually are monitoring our cell phones so when we drive by on uh, they're, they're they're checking the cell phone uh, signal and counting as at one vehicle uh, when I uh, drove drove into Tarkio the other day to pick something up at the at the auto parts store I followed a mini Cooper I'm pretty sure uh, which is a very very small car I'm pretty sure that uh, person had a cell phone uh, mm-hmm. laying next to him in the seat just like I do uh, in my pickup, or or we do when we drive our trucks. But as far as the Department of Transportation concerns, the same amount of traffic, but it's a tremendous difference in the amount of wear and tear on the roads and the economic importance of the trip. Uh, not to discount whatever Mr. Manny Cooper driver was doing, but just to point out, uh, when I'm hauling a 900 bushels of soybean to the uh, market, uh, that's a tremendous amount of economic activity to be produced with those soybeans. Already happened in my field. Uh, and to be produced in those soybeans as I, as the you know the guys drive them down to uh, St. Joe and they're processed into oil and meal and all the uh, things that soybeans are used for. Yeah, and if if your farm, which has generates as you say a conservative estimate of at least sixteen hundred semi fully loaded semis uh, a year moving on and off the farm to to move your crop, if that was a factory, it would probably get bent over backwards to get new roads built for it. Um, to, to make sure that the trucks could deliver the products there and take them to market. But when it's farms, the, the factories that we make our um, products in, it's really just land that's spread out all over the place. And so these roads uh, don't get the same treatment because you don't see it all in one day. Um, what, what do you think that the department could do better to maybe build some, um, make a better use of the money that they're putting towards our roads now? Well, we, uh, in, in our comments, we pointed out that it might be possible and might be uh, desirable uh, to just designate the rural freight corridors um, or the uh, farm-to-market roads that, that see the heaviest use uh, from, from corn, soybeans, timber, cotton, rice, whatever the product might be, uh, that see the heaviest use from agricultural products headed toward, headed toward their final destination and uh, concentrating their maintenance on those on those roads, one of the sort of catch-22 situations, as Commissioner McKenna, or excuse me, Director McKenna pointed out, 
uh, the maintenance is, is in the same fund as uh, snow removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in years like this one, uh, when we've had a lot of snow, a lot of weather, and a lot of damage to the road because of the weather, uh, we spend more on snow removal and actually have less left uh, for maintenance. So we'd like to see that maintenance budget be a part of the budget, uh, not maybe quite so dependent on how much snow uh, happens in December uh, so that we can get our roads repaired during the construction season. Right. Really, the the years that you need it the most are the years that you have the least because of the, the snow, like you say. And there are a lot of roads out there that got pretty torn up over the past few uh, few weeks. Those big snows and the plows going over them, there's a lot of asphalt that needs to be repaired. So uh, that definitely is an issue that's concerning. Um, one of the questions I thought was interesting that one of the commissioners asked was about, uh, I think there is confusion on this point, you know, how much, how much fuel tax farmers actually pay into the, the fuel fund, the road maintenance fund, because there are some parts of, um, of our fuel that it just gets exempted from that tax because it doesn't use the roads. What, what is that breakdown in your operations? Well, we uh, obviously pay road tax on, uh, on, on our personal vehicles, on our farm uh, pickups that we use to, uh, you know, whether it's driving to the field or driving to the repair shop. And then again, on those uh, 1,600 trips we make in our semi-trailers. Uh, so we're paying about federal and state together, about 40 cents a gallon. Uh, we figure it's somewhere between six and $8,000 a year in, in road taxes just for our farm. 100,000 farms uh, across the state of Missouri, you kind of get an idea of the uh, amount that uh, farmers contribute to that road fund. Mm-hmm. So the things that are actually exempted from that are what? Well, the combine driving in the field, the uh, the tractor pulling a planter, obviously we don't pay road tax on those gallons um, because they're not doing any damage to the roads. Mm-hmm. So uh, that seems to be a misconception that some people have, that uh, just because there are some portions of agriculture that um, don't have to pay into that fund, it, that doesn't mean that all of it is. It's really just when you're not on a road. Um, one of the other issues that, that we talked about is that there are some other states that have um, that have designated some other roads as farm-to-market roads and other states that have found ways to uh, identify those freight corridors. Uh, is there have you seen any movement towards maybe something like that happening in Missouri that uh, the the Department of Transportation may hi- highlight some roads that are the, the most valuable economically to rural Missouri and that we could maybe put a special designation on and make sure that they're well taken care of? Well, it's just a it's an idea I think that's been percolating for a while. They are, uh, the Department of Transportation is well aware of the challenges we're facing in rural Missouri and uh, this is really the only way that we can that we can uh, keep agriculture moving uh, given our, our present funding stream. So I think it is inevitable that they will move in that direction. And, and that's one more, uh, one last thing that we'll touch on is the, the funding streams. We uh, spent a lot of time last fall trying to uh, support the Proposition D that would have added funding into this, um, the road fund. And you mentioned that, that quite a bit in your remarks, and they asked you some questions about that, you know, what um, what you see as the future of that? What what do you see as the future of that uh, funding stream? Well, we uh, took a survey of, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, um, several hundred members at our annual meeting in December, uh, took a survey of uh, about some public issues of those members. Um, one of the questions we asked, we asked actually a couple of questions about Proposition D, obviously broad support among, among our members uh, for, for the Proposition D. We were happy to see that. Uh, but that's reflected in our resolutions, which we passed again this year 
uh, calling for more funding. Uh, Farm Bureau members understand the problem and are willing to do what they can to fix it. But in the comments in that survey, uh, there was some confusion. Uh, as you'll remember, Proposition D uh, was actually adding income, adding revenue uh, for State Highway Patrol. Uh, I think there was some confusion about whether that would or would not help the roads. Uh, some feeling that State Patrol is, 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 is per perhaps adequately funded, even if the roads are not. Uh, and I think that they um, they lost some support because people didn't fully understand how Proposition D would have worked. Uh, I had the chance to, to tell uh, the uh, members of the commission about our survey uh, and to talk about how some of the things that I've mentioned or what our members are thinking about Proposition D. Yeah, and that that's something that, uh, that Farm Bureau has been supportive of for a long time. You did mention that every successful um, change increase to the the fuel tax that would fund these rural roads has been supported by Farm Bureau members in the past and uh, that we anticipate that Farm Bureau is going to continue to support providing more resources towards this. So we'll see what comes out of the legislature, if anything, this year um, or in the next year or two to try to address the issue because the fuel tax hasn't been increased for, I believe, more than 20 years. Yeah, well, you know, one of the one of the problems is uh, people driving down the road can see the Department of Transportation's MoDOT doing things they don't like. Uh, they can see people perhaps not working as productively as we would like as we work on our farms. Um, but I, I'm always reminded of something, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld said many years ago, you don't go to war with the army you'd like. You go to war with the army you have. Um, we're going to fix our roads with the Department of Transportation we have. Uh, as you mentioned, it's 20 years since the funding has been increased, and that time, labor, um, medical costs, and certainly the cost of construction materials have increased many times. We've got to fix a problem. Uh, nobody likes to talk about taxes. No farmer wants to pay more given our financial situation, but it is inevitable uh, that we're going to have to increase revenue if we want to continue to have roads uh, that serve agriculture well. Well, appreciate your comments at the commission this morning, and thank you for talking with us about them. I think that uh, we'll uh, we'll have to continue to push on this for a long time and make something happen. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, Spencer Tuma is our director of national legislative programs, and we just got finished with the State of the Union address that Donald Trump was supposed to give a couple of weeks ago, but had to get rescheduled because of the government shutdown. And Spencer, you were the uh, the lucky person who got to watch the whole speech last night. So uh, what are some of your big takeaways from the speech and how it affected agriculture? Well, just to clarify, I didn't actually get to go to D.C. and watch the speech. <laughs> right. I had to watch it um, on my phone on my kitchen table because our TV was actually, oh, our satellite exciting. was down because of the weather, I assume. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was a really interesting speech. Um, I thought it was a very unifying speech, um, kind of my personal opinion there. Um, the speech, he spoke for a long time. It took about an hour and a half. It was a very long State of the Union address. Yeah, so it was one of the longer ones that we've ever really had, actually. Yeah, um, but he, he hit on a lot of really important topics for agriculture and for rural America um, and seemed to really tout a lot of those things as legislative victories and priorities. Yeah, and a lot of those really do apply to agriculture, and, of course, that's what we're going to try to focus on today and um, see how, out of that hour and a half, what mm -hmm. may really affect our members the most. Uh, I think he, he started off by talking a lot about the first couple of years mm -hmm. and some of the wins, right? Right. So he kind of opened the speech with 
um, kind of going through different legislative and regulatory priorities that the administration has had since President Trump was elected and kind of ticking things off the list. So one of the first thing he mentioned uh, was the um, raising of the exemption on the estate tax or yep. the death tax, as we commonly refer to it at Farm Bureau. Um, in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was passed in late 2017, that actually raised the level um, of estate that would qualify for the estate tax upon a person's death. Uh, and he specifically mentioned the uh, real-world impact that has on family farms and ranches. Yeah. So that was a big victory. Of course, we'd like to see it rolled back altogether. Congressman Jason Smith, I know that's a priority for him. He has a bill to that effect. Um, he also mentioned, President Trump, the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill as a big bipartisan victory at the end of last year. Yeah, and that was like the the last thing that happened basically before the shutdown. Mm -hmm. So it's really the last big win he's had was to get that Farm Bill passed just before the end of last year. Right, yeah. And he also mentioned uh, regulatory cutbacks. I think the um, the goal when President Trump took office was to eliminate two regulations for every one that was proposed to be put on the books. I've heard something, and it varies by agency, but in some agencies, that's as much as 22 regulations omitted for mm -hmm. every new one proposed. So he was really proud of that accomplishment. Yeah, and you know, I've seen some fact checks on some of those claims by the administration. I think that some of his numbers are are trumped up a little bit. <laughs> trumped <laughs> yeah, up? Oh. A, for use of lack of a better uh -huh. term, but uh, I think there's there's still no doubt that they have done a lot of more deregulatory actions than regulatory actions, and so it's a positive. Um, and it probably is even larger than that two-to-one, no matter how you're measuring it. Right. Um, so those have been positives. And, and you mentioned the estate tax. That's also something that Senator Blunt's been leading on as well, Absolutely. trying to continue to, um, to whittle that down, because uh, as far as we're concerned, it needs to go away completely. So sure. the more effort we, the more movement we can make towards that, the better. Of course, then there are proposals by people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who want to increase it. So yes. it's a real battle of wills right now. But uh, it sounds like in the past, first couple of years of the Trump administration, there were some good wins for agriculture that he pointed out. Yeah, the death tax. You know, that seems like something that should be a pretty easy win. Uh, but there are a lot more politics behind it than people might generally right. think. Yeah, and if you hear someone from farm country describe it, they describe it a lot differently than someone from an urban core. Absolutely. Uh, one of those members of, of Congress, they just see it very differently. Very so, divisive. Coming uh, from different angles. Um, beyond uh, the things that he's already accomplished, uh, there there were a lot of things that he talked about wanting to um, get some action on and some things that are needing congressional action. Mm -hmm. One of those was on trade and um, talked about the USMCA. Um, what were his uh, his his points on that? So the president did lay out some priorities related to international trade and, and other issues. Uh, he first kind of gave an update on where things are at with China. Of course, uh, the U.S. government and the Chinese government are currently in negotiations. Uh, they kind of have a deadline of March 1st to make some progress on those negotiations. President Trump didn't really make any promises, but he seemed confident that things were moving forward uh, and then moved into calling on Congress to pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which would replace the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, he called for swift passage of that to help expand American agriculture specifically. Yeah, and that would be great to get that done. Yes. Um, the biggest 
fear right now is that if that doesn't happen, that he'll um, withdraw entirely from the existing trade agreement. Right. That that would not be a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely not. It, the existing agreement isn't really all that bad for agriculture. Not for agriculture. Overall. It's not, no. Yeah, there are some issues with it that need to be addressed, but in, in large part, it's a lot better than withdrawing from it and having nothing left. Our so. goal overall would that it would be a smooth transition from the old NAFTA to the new USMCA with no lapse in the free trade agreement. Right. Absolutely. Um, then another thing that we've talked about quite a bit, uh, he brought up, is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And um, did he call for any specifics on that, or what were his uh, his comments on that? Point? You know, he didn't really give a lot of details on specific proposals, but did mention that infrastructure was a priority and a necessity for the administration. That got a lot of cheers from both sides of the aisle. Democrats and Republicans alike seem to recognize that that is an issue. Um, one other thing he mentioned that really struck me, in addition to infrastructure, uh, was that the president is placing a, a renewed priority on health care. Uh-huh. So um, he specifically mentioned uh, lowering the cost of health care and prescription drugs and specifically protecting pre-existing conditions, which was a huge issue in the 2018 midterm election. Yeah, that's for sure. That was kind of the main point that Senator McCaskill tried to hit now Senator Hawley on during their mm-hmm. campaign and uh, apparently wasn't successful and effective in her attacks. But it sounds like... Um, He's, he's definitely going to try to push harder on that. And that's something that we've noticed from our members, just you and I talking mm-hmm. to people and the Farmometer survey that we did at the, um, at the at our annual meeting in December. A lot of people did identify healthcare as one of their top concerns of their, running their farm operation, really, because most of the um, individual payers, or most of the people who have a farm, a small farm, especially a family farm, uh, don't have health insurance through anyone else. They have to go buy it on the open market. And that's the people who are getting the hardest right hit the hardest right now and particularly in rural areas so it kind of comes at us from all sides and in agriculture yeah absolutely it was really interesting to see um, the president talked about health care talked about pre-existing conditions and that seemed to garner a lot of applause again from both sides of the aisle uh, speaker pelosi who uh, i think it's safe to say probably does not want to give president trump a lot of credit <laughs> most of the time uh, as soon as he said pre-existing conditions she was out of her seat applauding so mm-hmm. um, to me that demonstrates that there may be some hope i think it, it'll be difficult to get anything done on health care um, and of course speaker pelosi Pelosi was in charge of the House when the Affordable Care Act was originally passed. Uh-huh. So um, that'll be an interesting dynamic. But I, I did notice that as soon as he said that, she was out of her seat. So yeah. it was just interesting to see. Yeah, seeing that interplay of the actual personalities, the human beings in that chamber, mm-hmm. um, in the same room with each other, where they're usually not. They're usually talking to each other across TV cameras. Right. Um, but actually seeing them in the same room is, a lot, is kind of interesting to see the uh, the dynamics at play there sometimes. And the other issues that he talked about didn't relate as directly to rural America or um, agriculture specifically, but he mm-hmm. talked a lot about, you know, so, um, uh, socialism and uh, the culture war issues yep. as well. That seems to be something that's really just gaining a lot of steam and may take away some momentum from some of the issues that we just discussed that mm-hmm. we would like to see action on, but it also may um, provide some cover to get some of those things done. Absolutely. Um, One other thing that he talked about that I forgot to mention, um, he devoted a large part of his speech to talking about funding for a border wall, which um, uh, it should (laughs) be obvious. I can't believe I forgot to mention it. So um, he did spend a a significant amount of time talking about that and really reiterated a lot of the points we heard and that we discussed a couple weeks ago from the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention. He really focused that on 
crime and the drug problem. That's the angle that President Trump sees this issue from. Um, and he renewed his promise about um, securing funding for mm-hmm. the border wall uh, in advance of the February 15th potential government shutdown deadline. And so. I believe he mentioned that he would like to see uh, us increase legal immigration to um, the highest levels uh, yes. that we've ever had. And um, in in some ways, that could be very helpful to the ag economy to have a legal immigration system, mm-hmm. um, some sort of a guest worker program where we know who's coming through the door. And that, um, I think, really helps out his argument about a border wall. It's not that we want to keep everybody out. We just want to be able to funnel them all through the actual front door rather than letting them sneak across the, the backyard, you know. Um, so I think that, again, those that and those social issues are probably going to take a lot of the oxygen out of the room mm-hmm. in, in addition to the funding issues, you know, the, right. the uh, budgetary and debt ceiling issues that are, that are coming right up on us. Um, but that also really can give some cover to Congress to allow them to get some of these other really important things but not as high-profile things done um, while they're arguing in the in front of the cameras about some of those bigger issues um, in the media. So we shall see how this all plays out, but it sounds like it was a pretty interesting and fairly well-done speech, right? Yeah, it seemed um, seemed very well done. It was very interesting to hear the president's priorities. I personally would have liked a few more details on the infrastructure package, but um, I'm confident that over the next few weeks and months, we'll hopefully see some of those priority issues um, mm-hmm. kind of rise to the top of the agenda. Yeah, and with such a broad-ranging speech, uh, nobody's ever fully happy with it, but the fact that we got uh, some of these priorities even mentioned is usually seen as a big win um, in the D.C. community because they know that that's what's on the president's mind. Right. Because he, he spends a lot of time preparing for this. Even even President Trump, who doesn't like to prepare for things <laughs> and doesn't like to prepare for speeches, he likes to wing it a lot of times. But he spends a lot of time preparing for the State of the Union. And I think that um, even the uh, – he's only given three of these speeches now, I guess. He – the first one was right after his, his mm-hmm. inauguration. It wasn't really technically a State of the Union, but I think that was his most well-received speech overall. Uh-huh. Everybody across the uh, both sides of the aisle seemed to think that was very presidential. And then uh, last year seemed to go fairly well as well. And then this year he seemed to do a pretty good job of calling for bipartisanship and getting some uh, some items like infrastructure done that everyone could and should agree on. Um, so hopefully the magnanimity that he showed and the uh, bipartisanship that he showed in those um, calls can continue and we can see some things move in the right direction over the next few months. Yeah, we, we certainly hope so. It'll be interesting to see um, all of the follow-up after the speech. Great. All right. Well, thanks again for taking a look at this and for watching the speech last night and um, look forward to seeing what happens with it as we move on into the legislative session. Sounds great. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. This weekend is our Young Farmer and Ranchers Leadership Conference at Tanterra at the Lake of the Ozarks. If you're a young farmer, I hope you're going to be able to make it down there for that conference. It is always a good one. We have a lot of great things on the agenda, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We will look forward to talking to you next week where we will recap what is going on in Missouri agriculture.